Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Uh, Nineteen years ago, when we were just beginning Northgate, uh, we had this idea. We had a dream um, that we would want to provide a church for people who had no church background or maybe had left the church or given up on church completely. Um, that we wanted and we dreamt of a church that had doors wide open. That people who didn't know or even believe in Jesus would come and be able to explore faith, be able to learn from Scripture, be able to consider the claims of Christ in their life and maybe, just maybe, choose to follow Him. We wanted a church that, that people actually enjoyed coming to. <laughs> you know, instead of some of the churches you know, that I had been a part of, that people really wanted to come. And they didn't have to know all of the tradition and all of the language and all of the liturgy that came with it, but they could just come the way that they were. And in that, find something alive, that our gatherings would be a celebration of what God was doing in our own lives. And that we would be able to teach Scripture in a way that people would understand it and see that it actually applies to their life, that there's something meaningful here that I can take home and start with this afternoon. And our prayer and our dream was that in such a church, lives would be changed. And the love of Jesus would be expressed in community, gatherings in small groups, and that people would grow in their faith. And our dream was, our dream was for a healthy, growing, vibrant church family. Growing, where people are growing, where we are growing, and that we would become large enough to make an impact in our community. That, that maybe we would grow large enough to have an influence in our whole region, all the way around us. That maybe, just maybe, We could be a church that began to have an impact in this world. And the essence of that dream all came from Jesus' words to his followers. The last words he left with them, it's found in Acts chapter 1. Jesus said this to his followers. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And I remember reading that passage and thinking about it, dreaming about the kind of church that we wanted to be. And, and I began to feel like, I think what the, what the disciples must have felt like when they heard Jesus say these words. Because these are just, you know, a small handful group of nobodies. And Jesus says, you are going to go change the world. You're going to start here in Jerusalem. And beyond that, you're going to get your region in Samaria. Beyond that, you're going to go ends of the earth. Ends of the earth. And I'm sure, because he was really fuzzy about the details, you know. And I'm sure they had questions like, how are we going to do that? I mean, where are we going to find the resources? Who's going to pay for all this stuff, you know? How are we going to carry that off? Who in the world is going to listen to us? And I had a lot of those very same feelings. I remember walking, there's a hill behind our house. And I remember walking along the ridge of that hill and looking out over just the city of Benicia. And all the homes out in front of me just thinking, God... How are we going to reach these people? How are we going to do this? 
will anybody ever even come? Because <laughs> there was like 12 of us in my living room. And back then, it was just an idea. It was just a dream. Because, see, none of us had experienced a church like that. None of us. We weren't even sure this was going to work. None of us had any idea what we were doing. <laughs> it was just an idea. But we were convinced of this, that that dream, that idea, was God's vision for us. That that's what he was calling us to do. And we understood that the key thing, the key thing in all this, was being able to look at people with a different perspective. To be able to see people the way Jesus saw them. Because Jesus looked at people far differently than all, the, all those around him. What he saw in people, nobody else saw. What he called out of people, nobody else saw to call out. And you read through this, the accounts of the Gospels and, and Jesus' work in this world, and you look at it and you say, he, he saw something different in people. And if we could capture that, if we could get that kind of a vision, if we can learn to see people the way Jesus sees them, could we maybe make that difference? Could that really happen? Because the way that Jesus looked at people changed their lives. And a perfect example of it is, is when he started calling, calling his first disciples. And in Matthew chapter 9, uh, there's a recording, it's a very short story, but it's a recalling of Matthew, his own, the guy who wrote this gospel. He's the one, and he writes about how it happened to him. And he writes it in the third person. But he writes it this way, verse 9. As Jesus went from there, from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Jesus looked at people completely differently. And because he saw something in Matthew, it changed the way that Matthew began to look at people. And I believe that's God's heart for his church, God's heart for his people. And it starts right where we are at, in our Jerusalem, where we live, where we go to school, where we, where we have our barbecues on 4th of July, where we work. That's where it starts. And when you begin to look at Jesus in the Gospels, and you begin to look how he interacted with people and how it changed their lives, you begin to realize he saw people a lot differently. And I want to talk about that this morning because my hope and my dream this morning is we recapture that vision, that we begin once more to look at people the way Jesus looked at them. And when you do that, when you look at how Jesus did it, one of the things you realize first up is that when Jesus looked at people, every person mattered. Every person has worth in God's eyes. Everyone. Everyone. And it shows up particularly in Matthew's case because Matthew was like the unlikeliest of all disciples because he was a tax collector and tax collectors were kind of universally disliked by everybody. Nobody liked, I mean, nobody likes the tax man, right? And, and, and the thing was this, that Rome, because Rome, the Roman Empire was over Jerusalem and all, the, all that area at that point, and, and they had devised all kinds of ways to tax people to get more money for the empire. Kind of sounds like our California legislator right about now. 
That's the way government operates. Find as many ways as we can to tax people and get their money. And there were three major taxes. There was, they had property tax, landowner's tax. If you owned land, and at that time it was an aggregate, agricultural society, and, and so what you had to do was whatever the crop yield of your land, that you had to pay that either in actual the crop or in, in cash value. You had to pay that to Rome. That was one of the major taxes. It was a property tax, just like today. They had an income tax. Whatever it is that you made, whatever income you had, you had to send a portion of that off to Rome. And they had what they called a poll tax. You got taxed just for being alive. <laughs> That's what it was. You got taxed for breathing. And everybody at the age, for women, it was when you reached the age of 12, you started paying this tax. For men, for boys, when you, age, you reached the age of 14, you started paying this tax. And it was just a tax that they, you had to pay just for Rome to let you live. That's what it was. Those were the three major taxes. And then on top of that, on top of that, they had additional taxes. They had sales taxes. Any purchase that you made, there was a sales tax on it. There was duty on any imported goods. They had a travel tax. A travel tax. And they actually, they actually charged the tax by the number of axles on your chariot. Yeah. And they charged you a tax on any pack animal that you had. Now, we're not sure if they had actually smog check back then, but we do know they taxed you on your pack animals. And, and that's, where, that's where Matthew comes in because the way that they did that is they had toll roads, just like when you cross a bridge here in the Bay Area. You stopped and you paid. And that's why Matthew was sitting in a tax collector's booth. It was his toll booth. That's what it was. That's what he, that's what he did. And, and because that was the case... He had direct interaction with people. More so than the Roman government way off in Rome. You know, because nobody saw those guys. But, but they saw this guy who's taking my money. And they interacted with them on a regular basis. And it was these tax collectors that took most of the brunt of the displeasure of the people. And that's Matthew. And nobody likes him. The only friends he has are other tax collectors. Because... They were universally disliked. Everybody had a negative opinion about, about tax collectors. Rome, Rome, the Roman government, they distrusted them because these guys were notoriously dishonest. Because the way that it worked is you, you kind of bought into this being a tax collector deal. And then you collected the taxes from people. And all you had to do was make sure that, that Rome got its cut. You could charge whatever tax you wanted within reason. But as long as Rome got their cut, they didn't care. So, so the Roman government kind of looked at these people with distrust because they were, you know, they were just dishonest people. They'd raise a tax if it meant more in their own pockets. Their fellow Jewish brothers didn't like them because they saw them as traitors. They saw them as collaborators with this Roman government, this oppressive, oppressive government on top of us. And they actually saw them as sellouts because these were Jews who had gone over to the side of the enemy and were actually collecting money from their own people to give to the government that nobody liked. And so nobody liked these guys. In fact, they were considered not kosher. They were considered unclean. A tax collector was banned from attending the synagogue. He wasn't allowed to go to church. Because he was considered unclean. They were, in fact, they were not allowed to give testimony in court. In the Jewish court. No tax collector was ever, ever, ever able to offer a witness because nobody believed them. And that's the guy that Jesus looks at and he sees something completely different. 
Everybody else has negative opinions. Jesus sees something in him nobody else sees. And he says to him, Come, follow me. Matthew 9, 9. As Jesus went from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting in a tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Now you got to understand how off this was. Because it was a great honor to become a disciple of a rabbi. And, and, and you became, the, the Jewish word is talmudin. The Greek word is mathetes. But it just simply meant follower, discipler, uh, disciple, follower, and, and learning from this rabbi. And the deal of it was this. You never got recruited. Nobody, rabbis didn't go recruit their students. You had to earn your way. In fact, you had to, if you were interested in doing this, you had to go and ask and apply to go, you know, be a follower of some rabbi. It's kind of like, you know, trying to get into Cal. Yeah, it's, you know, you had to go through this, or Stanford, which is almost as good, you know. But, but that's what it was. It was a school of learning. You learned the Torah. And then you became a follower of a rabbi. And he would teach and interpret Torah for you. And followers of each of these rabbis, they became, you know, dispensers of this same viewpoint, the same theological viewpoint. And it was a great, great honor because everybody started out in elementary school learning Torah. By the time you were like 9, 10 years old, you had memorized the whole law. First five books of the Bible. And, and if you showed promise, you got to go into like graduate school. And if you really looked good and did really well, then maybe you could get hooked up to a rabbi. And that's how it worked. So it's just, it's an odd thing that Jesus isn't even out recruiting disciples. Because no rabbi did that. But the people that he was picking... He's picking fishermen. These, unlearned, these are the guys that couldn't make it in graduate school. These were the dropouts. And he calls them, come be a follower of mine. Tax collector. Collaborator with the enemy. Come, follow me. You see, Jesus' view of people was God's view of people. And it was a lot different than the way everybody else was looking at people. In Jesus' view, everybody mattered. Everybody counted. Everybody had worth. I have in my office, on my phone, in our phone system, I have a, uh, a DND button, which is do not disturb. And, and if I'm in a, in a conference or if I'm studying and I don't want to be bothered, I can push this and then everything will go to my, my mailbox. You know, I don't have to take a phone call. I can just not be bothered by anybody. I can do whatever it is that I'm doing. And every once in a while I do that. I push the do not disturb. I just got no phone calls, no nothing. I just got to take some time here. Um, and I don't want to be bothered by anybody. But here's the trouble. Every once in a while, I forget to take that button off. <laughs> And I will go like days wondering, why is nobody calling me, you know? How come I got all these messages in my inbox, but nobody's really talking to me? And I wonder sometimes if in each of our minds we got one of those DND buttons. And we don't want to be bothered by the people around us. And we don't want to see them the way Jesus sees them. So we kind of mentally push this DND button. And we can go for a long time. And interact with all kinds of people and never think about who they are. Never wonder what's going on in their life. Never being bothered by them as a person. I ask you, you got one of those buttons? I know I do. 
I get into a mode where I'm so wrapped up in my own stuff, I don't look at the people the way Jesus would look at them. Paul talked about it this way to the Corinthian church. He said, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. He says, we can't look at people the way we used to. That's not an option for us. When we became followers of Jesus Christ, we got to start looking at people the way Jesus looks at them. And we can't stop looking at them that way. We don't get a do not disturb button. Everybody matters to God. So here's an exercise I would like you to do this week. Just, you know, just to kind of get this into your brain, okay? When, wherever you go this week, where whoever you encounter, whatever you come across, just think in your mind, you matter to God. Just whoever you deal with, you know, whatever it is, just in your mind, just kind of push that button and say, you matter to God. Just to get your thinking different. Like, let's, let's practice it, okay? Because maybe some of you never said this sentence, okay? So, so let's try it together. You matter to God. You're not saying like you mean that, all right? Try it again. You matter to God. Get that in your brain. So that when you get up and you stop and and pick up your morning coffee and the person behind the counter serves you your coffee, you're saying in your mind, you matter to God. Say it. You matter to God. And when you get to work and you start working with your coworkers, you think to yourself, you matter to God. And when you get bad service at a restaurant and you think about your waiter, you say, you matter to God. And when you get in line at Rayleigh's or Safeway and somebody in front of you has more than 10 items in their basket, you say to yourself as you look at them, you matter to God. Because we've got to start seeing people. We've got to remember to see people the way Jesus did. Because it is so easy to go through life and mentally check out as to what's going on in the lives of people around you. Now let me make it a little more personal. Because not only does everyone have worth in God's eyes, there are some people, there are some people that God wants to reach through you. Matthew was blown away by this invitation. The grace of God came to him. One that nobody else would give the time of day except other tax collectors. No one nobody else cared about. Jesus cared about. And grace came to his life. And it changed him. It changed his whole way of looking at things. He left everything. Now understand, because we're told earlier that Jesus is on this road. This is a road going through Capernaum. And Capernaum was like, it was a major intersection. It was a major crossroads with some of the big highways that went through. Well, highways in their time. And so to to get a toll booth at Capernaum, that was like a really lucrative position. I mean, you, you, you had to fight to get that pick. And so this is a big deal for him to leave his toll booth because when he does this, he is leaving behind a very lucrative career. He is leaving behind job security. He is leaving behind a clear future and retirement. And he is leaving behind an opportunity to ever go back. Because you don't get that job once you leave it. And he did it because he was overwhelmed by grace. Somebody cared about him. Somebody even talked to him. And offered him. Offered him a fresh start. Offered him the chance to be right with God. Offered him a place to belong with other disciples. 
And that offer was so huge, nothing compared. And he left everything. He was overwhelmed by the grace of God, and it changed his life. And it so changed his life that he could not keep it to himself. Because one of the first things he starts thinking about is, how am I going to tell this to my friends? How in the world am I going to help my friends discover what I've discovered? And it's like like right afterwards, we don't know what the time lag in between this was, but it wasn't too long. That we know. And, And one of the first things that he's thinking about is, how in the world do I get my friends that I love to meet the Jesus that I'm now following? How can I do that? And he doesn't know anything yet. He's just starting in this whole deal. He doesn't know the ins and the outs. He knows nothing except this. He wants his friends to meet Jesus. And so what he does is the one thing he can do because he can't explain it and and he can't go through all the ins and outs. All he can do is use what he's got to serve God. And that's what he does. He throws a party. And we're told in verse 10 that while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Matthew had a party. And he brought his new rabbi and disciple friends to the party along with his tax collector and sinner friends. And Matthew, because it's his own story here, he kind of downplays the whole deal. He makes it sound like, well, it just happened to come about. But if you read Luke's account, Luke says Levi, who's the other name that Matthew went by, held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with him. This wasn't just a little small intermittent dinner party. This was a huge feast. I mean, he threw a party, you know? That's what it was. It was a big, big deal. He didn't know much. He didn't have much to share, but he knew this. He wanted his tax collector friends that he loved find the Jesus that he now followed. And the only way he could think to do that was let's get them in the same room together. Who do you know that needs to know Jesus? Who do you know that needs to know Jesus? Or let me rephrase it this way. Who do you know that has it so together they don't need Jesus? Who do you know whose life is so perfect they have no need, no desire, no interest in, they don't even bother them with Jesus? Who do you know that needs to know Jesus? Right now, on your piece of paper, write down their name. Write it down. Who do you know that needs to know Jesus? See, Matthew is still new to all of this. He doesn't know much, but he does what he can with what he has. And what he has is a home. And so he opens up his home. You can do that. (laughs) You can do that. You don't have to be a theologian to open your home. You don't have to be a a theologian to invite somebody along with you. There are all kinds of ways that you can do this. You can have a Matthew party. You can just get some of your unbelieving friends with some of your believing friends and just throw a party and let them get to know each other. And let God do the rest. You could... You could invite somebody to come with you on a Sunday morning and then plan to say, you know what, if you come with me, then let's go out to lunch. I'll take you out to lunch afterwards. You could do that. 
this summer, you could host a barbecue in your own backyard. You could do that. Because it doesn't take a whole lot to do that. It is something that you can do. If you would just think about it, you could get creative. There are all kinds of ways that you could find to bring somebody to Jesus. And you don't have to be a theologian and you don't have to know all the ins and outs. And you don't have to know the four spiritual laws or anything else. All you got to do is invite your unbelieving friends to get together with your believing friends and let God do the rest. Let God do the rest. That's what Matthew did. I can't do anything, but I can throw a party. I know how to do that. So he throws a party and he lets Jesus do the rest. Because you see, remember what we read earlier, when Jesus told his disciples, you're going to go and you're going to be witnesses, he didn't give them any other instruction than this, except that you're going to receive power from the Holy Spirit. He's going with you. God is going with you. And it's his power and his strength that's going to make the difference. You just go. Just go. No other instructions beside that. See, Matthew was confident in this. He knew that if he threw a party for his tax collector friends, Jesus would come. And he knew Jesus wouldn't be put off by that, that Jesus would engage in conversation, that he would talk to these tax collectors. And, you know, just kind of imagine what that conversation might have gone like, you know? Like one of the tax collectors comes to Jesus, you know, so who does your taxes, you know? I mean, what were the conversations that went on there? He just did what he could do. You see, it's not your job to convert somebody. That's God's work. It is your job to invite. It is my job to go. You can do that. You can open your home. You can invite somebody. And if you don't even know where to start, start what the Apostle Paul did. Paul Paul wrote to the Colossian church. He simply said this. Devote yourselves to prayer. Pray for us too. That God may open a door for our message. Just start praying for open doors. And then look for them and walk through them when they open up. You know, when we first started Northgate, every single encounter, anytime I met somebody, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, how am I going to get them to go to my church? Because there were only 12 of us. I had to get somebody somewhere, you know. But that was the deal. Everybody that I met. Everybody. We, our kids were in soccer. And, and we'd had soccer practice. And I started practicing with this other guy. I was trying to think all the time, that whole season, how can I get him to come to my church? And Betty, my wife, is standing on the sideline watching the practices. And she's talking with all the other soccer moms standing on there. And she's thinking to herself, how can I get these people to come to my church? And They did. <laughs> They did. Because somebody invited them. And you know what? I don't do that so much anymore. Because the truth is, I don't think I look at people the way Jesus does as much anymore. (gasps) But you're the pastor. Yeah. But it is so easy to lose that vision. You can get so wrapped up in your church friends, in your Christian friends, in your ministry, whatever it is. You can get so wrapped up in all that 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 becomes your world. And statistically, statistically, the longer that you have been a Christ follower, the less and less non-Christ follower friends you have. So you've got to work extra hard at doing that. 
How many of your friends are not believers? Did you even think of one name that you could put on the paper? And you said, this is a friend, not just an acquaintance. This is a friend of mine. This is somebody I hang out with all the time. Do you have anybody like that? That's what Jesus did. That's what Matthew did. He determined whatever he was going to do. He was going to help the friends that he loved come to know the Jesus he was following. And we can do this. You can do this. Because everybody matters. Everybody matters. And God wants to use you to reach some of them. But here's the deal. If you're going to reach people, you have to love people. See, not everybody was really happy about this party. There was a whole group of people watching what was going on, and they were shocked and disgusted. Because, you see, to eat a meal with someone, that was, I mean, if you think that's a big deal now, that was a huge deal back then. To open your home, to sit down at table, to break bread with someone else, that implied all kinds of things. It implied complete acceptance. It implied full inclusion. It implied friendship. And for Jesus to sit down and have a meal with these tax collectors and sinners was huge. And if you look at Jesus' life and ministry, he did some of his best work at meals. He started his whole ministry at a wedding reception and turned water into wine. It was at a meal that a, man, a woman named Mary came and broke an alabaster jar of perfume and with her tears washed and wiped Jesus' feet. It was on a hillside that he had a meal with 5,000 people that he didn't even know. <laughs> and he provided the meal. It was at a meal that he washed his disciples' feet and taught them about what it means to love and serve one another. It was at a meal that Jesus sat with his followers and broke bread and said, this is my body. This cup is my blood. Some of the most important things Jesus did in his ministry, he did at a table. It is huge for him to be sitting down and having dinner with all these people that nobody would give the time of day to. And that's why, that's why the Pharisees are so put off by this whole deal. Because they know what it means. And how in the world would any self-respecting rabbi do something like this? And, and what's, what's interesting, they don't even go and ask Jesus. You know, this, is, this is a kicker. They don't go and ask Jesus. They go to his disciples. Like his disciples know what the answer to this question is. He goes to the disciples. The Pharisees saw this. They asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? They probably looked at each other. I don't know. <laughs> I, we just got the invitation. You know, I don't know. You see, these guys, they loved God. These Pharisees, they got a bad But really, they loved God. They loved God's word. They loved the Torah. They loved discussing what it meant and the ins and outs. They loved theology. They loved trying to figure out how it is that God works in this world. They loved all of that stuff. Who they didn't love was people. And that's the other half 
of the commandment. <laughs> they loved theology. They loved the Bible. They loved studying. They loved all of this stuff. But they didn't love people. They didn't have any sinner friends. They didn't throw any parties. They wouldn't have a meal with anyone like this. And worst of all, it didn't bother them. That is the saddest thing of all. It didn't bother them. They thought they were doing good. It didn't bother them that they weren't reaching out beyond their own little happy huddle. It didn't bother them that there were people who were lost and dying. It didn't bother them at all. And those that we would consider to be the most spiritually mature and the most biblically literate didn't care and didn't see people the way God sees them. And I wish I could say that that stopped back in that generation. But the truth of the matter is that there are thousands of people in thousands of churches who are very, very biblical literate, who love to discuss theology, who are serving in a ministry in the church, who are a part of a small group, who do all of the right things, but don't love people. And it doesn't bother them. It bothers the heck out of me. It bothers me that I get that way sometimes. That I get so caught up in all of my stuff that I don't love people. It ought to bother us. It ought to bother you. Because that's what Jesus did. He was a sinner magnet. (laughs) That's who came to him. The most spiritual person in the world, in all of human history, the most spiritually mature, biblically literate person in the whole world. And he was a sinner magnet. They flocked to him. Why? Because they knew he loved them. He loved them. He didn't tell them, well, go get straightened up a little bit, then you can come. Yeah, you know, leave, you know. Get it all together. Get it all figured out. Then come to me. He welcomed them as is. And when he's challenged on it, and and these Pharisees, they don't even face up to Jesus. They go and ask the disciples, but Jesus overhears it. And Jesus, when he overhears it, turns to them and he said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. And he quotes from Hosea, I desire mercy Not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And and that little phrase where he says, go and learn what this means, that is a rabbinical rebuke. That is what a rabbi said to one of his disciples who hadn't done his homework. He said, go and learn what that means. Go and learn what this means. And so he's talking to all these rabbis, all these religious leaders, and he's treating them like, you haven't done your homework. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Because all of your study and all of your personal piety and all of your knowledge and all of your sacrifice and all that you are doing, you don't get it. You don't get it. It's about loving people. 
as well as loving God. Now, don't give up your study. Don't lose your love for God's word. Don't quit a ministry. Don't, don't give up it, because it's not an either or. It's a both and. That's what Jesus said about the, the, the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. It's both and. Love God, love your neighbor. And what's really, really interesting in this story is Matthew, Matthew, long before he is given what we call the Great Commission, go and be my disciples, go and be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, long before he got that, what he was doing was he was fulfilling the great commandment. And what's really, really interesting is if you fulfill the great commandment, you fulfill the great commission too. It's a both and. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking more and more about this because we can do no less. We cannot, we cannot lose our love for people. We cannot, we cannot not look at them the way Jesus did. We just can't. Because if we are followers of Jesus, we got to learn the way he lived. we got to see the way he saw. we got to care the way he cared. Because that's what it means to be a follower of his. And it's not my goal this morning to lay guilt on anybody, but I do want to challenge you. I do want to challenge you. I'm not here to criticize because I am just as guilty. But I do want to encourage you. Who do you know that needs to know Jesus? What could you do with what you have to introduce him? Start praying for an open door. Start looking for the opportunities. Start realizing that all that you have are tools to be used for the kingdom of God. Because when we learn to fulfill the great commandment, we will learn to follow the great commission. Bow your heads with me. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California. 